yeah, I can try and make them more palatable, but sometimes they're going to be less funny because of it. You know, I think you often have to lean in with comedy. If you if you water down what you want to say, then very rarely do you get someone who wasn't going to laugh start laughing. And then the people who were going to laugh, they might laugh less because you've diluted it. Hello and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Sachandrika and I'll be your host. So in this episode, we welcome writer and comedian Alex Batunis Fernandez. Alex has been a stand-up comedian for the past year and she's also writing a memoir. She's on the Penguin Right Now scheme, an award-winning programme that places new writers from underrepresented backgrounds with mentors and provides workshops and other forms of support over one year. The scheme is closed for applications this year, I should know because I got my rejection a few weeks ago, but there's always next year. Joking aside, in light of the first in-depth academic study into diversity in UK publishing, which came out a couple of weeks ago, one of the many issues that they found was that publishers still see writers of colour as a quote-unquote commercial risk. So schemes like Right Now are incredibly important, and there will be links to both the scheme and the report in the show notes. I urge you to please check them out. So Alex and I first met a few months ago at the then-new Clean Prose, a co-working space for writers in Shoreditch, East London, where we both attended a memoir writing workshop with writer Cathy Rensenbrink. Sadly, due to the pressures of lockdown, Clean Prose has actually shut down now um, on the 29th of May, and we're very sad to see it go. Alex and I started the conversation you're about to hear her side of, you should be used to that by now, uh, by talking about the time she went viral on Twitter. There's a link in the show notes so you can see it for yourself and, and enjoy it for yourself. I think it's a very funny tweet. It involves a piece of art that she made in class in response to her teacher telling her, um, incredibly, uh, to dial down the feminism. Can you hear my very sarcastic quotation marks there? So here's what Alex had to say in response. And uh, she also goes through how important a Twitter is to being a comedian and uh, how writing stand-up has influenced writing her memoir. So uh, let's see what Alex has to say. So I think it was back in 2018, um, one of my art teachers uh, suggested that I dial down the feminism. And I kind of, uh, I I was like really kind of bemused by this, um, just because I didn't really even know what that would look like. Um, So I decided to kind of try and imagine like if there were um a feminist style like what would it look like and it, and it made me think about this quotation from this musician Kath, I think it's Kathleen Hanna and she talks about like you know how she'd rather be like the kind of annoying feminist girl than like be complicit in her own dehumanization so I kind of mocked up um what I thought the doll would look like and I posted it on Twitter and at this point I had like maybe 400 followers um I didn't use any hashtags or anything I I I just put it out online because you're told as an artist (laughs) quote-unquote artist uh, that that's like what you're meant to do um but with it it blew up really quickly um and I I like it, it has. I think to this, it has almost a uh, hundred thousand retweets. Um, I don't know how many likes it has. That's the kind of thing we should know. Um, but it, it just kind of, I, I, I got a lot of 
attention on the internet overnight that I had not experienced before. Um, and that that was really interesting and fascinating and scary. Um, and also uh, completely, um, completely unique in, in my career, certainly. I've, I've not gone viral before since, uh, despite my best efforts. It, it was really amazing for me to to see how many people hated me just for using the word feminist and also how many people assumed they knew exactly the kind of person I was. Um, like, there'd be... And, and I should say, although there was some criticism from women, the vast majority uh, was, was from men and there'd be stuff like, oh, she just needs to get laid. Um, or like... And, and I actually use one of these lines in, in my stand-up routine where someone asked me, you know, what's it like to be a 24-7 um, raving bitch? Um, and it's, it, it, was, it, was, it was very strange. But also, I've, I've never considered myself a particularly thick-skinned person. So if you told me beforehand, um, you know, you're going to get a lot of vitriol online... I would probably maybe not have posted it, um, which is not, I know that's not what everyone wants to hear from someone who's <laughs> posted a quote-unquote sassy feminist piece. You know, they want to hear that you'd have done anything. But I, you know, I, I was quite sensitive um, and vulnerable. And if I'd known, I maybe wouldn't have posted it. But what surprised me was that actually when I did receive all that attention and with it, some of the hate it actually didn't bother me um in the way I thought it would um I do think when the attacks came from women I was slightly more put out and felt slightly more hmm, what does this say about me but on the whole I I genuinely found it funny which is not something I would have anticipated you know I had I I had men emailing me what they thought the dial should look like um and I had, you know, I think there was a debate on Reddit about whether it was actually a dial or a switch. You know, lots of men saying, I don't know how dials work. Um, a lot of men explaining my artwork back to me. Um, and yeah, I had an email from a guy saying, um, you know, you may, rem you know, I'm sure I've emailed you before, which to me was just like, you've not emailed me before which just shows kind of how mindless and frequent your attacks on women on the internet are you can't even keep track of whether you've attacked me before and he was just saying you know what am I meant to tell my daughters you know that they're not allowed to you know um look after the house or and I was just like I, you know and then also what terrified me was that this man had daughters um if he's attacking random women on the internet for calling themselves a feminist um but you know, you know, internet, not always the most fun place to be. Most of my social media following, and I find that, I, I really hate using that phrase because that makes it sound like they're all sitting in a room waiting for me to tweet. Um, most of them come from my art and from the Dow Down the Feminism stuff. And, and often every time I tweet about anything that isn't feminism, I lose a follower. <laughs> um, but also, you know, it was interesting because I... I had most of my Instagram followers again came from Dial Down the Feminism and I found that most a lot of the people who followed me on that Instagram account were looking for art 
And then whenever I posted a comedy thing, the followers would go down. And I, I thought, you know, fair enough. If you're here for feminist art, you might not want to watch my stand up. And especially not even watch my stand up. You might not want to see posters advertising me doing a gig that, you know, is in a country you don't even live in. Um, so I made a decision to set up a separate comedy account, um, Instagram account. And that was, you know, that was a tricky decision just because I have, you know, I had to kind of work on building a, an audience from scratch there. And I, I, I still have so much to do because the, the followers I have on, on my comedy account are, are nothing compared to the followers I have on my art account, which I should say now is, is still a very humble amount, I'm, you know. Um, so it has been interesting seeing that. But, in, you know, you might think, oh, someone being interested in one area of your art would translate to them being interested into other areas but that's not always the case and and I've also found it difficult from you know I when I'm applying for jobs I very much want to you know present myself as capable and reliable and I, I do think I am those things but if I'm posting videos you know where I talk about my depression you know people don't often think oh depression equals reliable and and also you know I might make you know during my stand-up I might make jokes about race or or making white people uncomfortable and I, I do worry that employers will think oh oh we can't hire her because she'll just will be in a in a room and she'll just be really provocative and wanting to talk about race and you know, if anything, as a, you know, in comedy, if anything, you get better at reading rooms. You know, I'm not going to go into your to your work meeting and, and, and call out, you know, your your lack of diversity. So it's 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 this. Yeah, there is this conflict between, you know, wanting to put myself out there, but also wanting to people to know that that's one area of my life and and that it's not, you know, so, like for instance, one of the jokes I make is that um, I'm is I'm a mixed race, which means I'm brown enough to meet your diversity quota and white enough to never call you out on it. And you know, in the creative industries, you know, it's, it is very white, and I am used to be often being one of the only brown people in the room. I think it, you know it's better in London. But I've definitely gone into, you know, into workshops and spaces where I'm the only brown person. And also, you know, people, I think people don't realize how, how aware we are of that. And, you know, and I, I have this conflict because I've had a, a very anglicized upbringing. Um, you know, my dad's Indian, but a lot of people wouldn't know that. And, and certainly the way the way I've I've lived my life I you know it, it doesn't feel very close to my dad's um experiences in India but we notice these things so yeah my my comedy will highlight what I notice but it doesn't mean I'm going to let that affect my professionalism I very rarely tweet jokes um partly because I, I I really like being able to control or have have more control over you know how a joke's received, um, you know when I perform it. Obviously, it's it's very hard to convey tone on Twitter. Having said that, there are you know comedians in America that I follow on Twitter, who you know I've never seen live and I'm unlikely to see live, but I love the jokes they tweet and I've I love 
the clips I've seen of them performing. Um, I think, it, you know, I think if you do want to do writing and, and comedy writing, it is a really great way to get noticed. But it's not so it's not what I'm currently doing. And I guess I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want out of a career and the best way to get there. I think comedians have to be very on it online, especially to a degree. And I, I should say this: I am not as on it as I should be, uh, by any means. Um, and, you know, and a lot of a lot of comedy just seems to be about having a platform and building a following, so that if you do eventually tour, people will want to see you. You know, people who haven't seen you live will, you know, see you've built your career online and watch your content online and want to engage with you. Um, so basically, I think it's very important that comedians do that. Having said that, I'm not very good at it. Um, and I'm beginning, you know, I, I've actually started doing some paid work for other comedians, helping them do that. But I don't necessarily follow that, those principles in my own work, which I know is very bad, but I it it can it can just be very difficult especially when you're at the level I'm at where I, I've not got you know I wouldn't even say I necessarily I've, yes I've got followers on social media but I don't think I I have a, a following that's waiting for me to gig in a in, in a certain city I, in fact I know I don't um and it can be very hard because you just feel like you're kind of shouting into the void you know I might post oh I've got a gig in Leicester but apart from maybe two friends in Leicester or, and, and all the other comedians who live in Leicester, you know, most people don't care. And I think it's it's about becoming comfortable enough with putting yourself out there, knowing that you're shouting into void and knowing that most people don't care and trusting that eventually they will care. And it's just about having the energy to invest in that. And I think I've especially in my first year I think I've mainly focused on gigging and trying to improve my technique and my writing and not worrying so much about that but I think as you progress I, I think that's very important from what I can see. Stand-ups definitely changed the way I write uh, for better and for worse so one good thing is is that you get used to writing so often and, and editing your material so often, depending on how the audience reacts to it. But, you know, when it comes to my book, I've definitely been like, oh, I need to get to what I'm trying to say quicker, you know, because I imagine saying on stage and I think, do I need half of that? Because um, I know the audience would get bored, which means the reader might get bored. But also, you know, it is hard, you know, with the books, with when I've been writing my book to to realise that there's, it, it's still allowed to have elements of sadness and they're allowed to be lines which aren't funny. Um, you know, and I, I find even with the kind of um, content I've consumed um, and the TV programmes I've watched since start stand-up, I find it a lot harder to watch shows which don't have jokes in them. And my instinct is always, you know what, would make this better? Jokes. Um, so I, although I think it's improved my writing in some senses, it, it, you know, I've had, had to really force myself to be okay with the fact that, you know, not everything's going to be funny. Not everything's a setup to a punchline, especially because some of the, the writing in my book is about my life. You know, although I try and put humor in where I can, it's not all, you know, uh, it's, it's not all fun. 
And, you know, and I, I think I, it's about trusting that the reader will be willing to stick with the the sadder parts to get to the, the funnier parts. And, and although in, you know, in Edinburgh shows, there's very much that theme of, you know, oh, this is for struggle and there's there's a lot more room for darkness and sadness, I think, in Edinburgh shows um, in, in kind of your regular five, ten minute um, spot. Because that's, I'm still at the stage where that's the amount of stage time I'm usually having. I think if you've got five or ten minutes and you talk about depression and mental health as much as I do, there's a real fear that the audience will feel, will feel sorry for you. And I'm never looking for that. I'm never looking for sympathy. You know, if I can't make someone laugh, then the most I want from them is empathy. And to be honest, I, I, want, I, want, I, I like the idea of someone in that room who's maybe struggled to get out of the house that morning due to depression to sit in that room and feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not the only one. And she's here and she's able to talk about these things. And people are on board um and but i i but it's also challenging when you've only got a short amount of time when you're not doing an hour-long show you know you you don't want to you 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 don't have as much time to earn the audience's trust and and tell them i am okay you know for me the fact that i'm on stage should be a sign for me at least that i am okay because if I wasn't okay enough to do that, I would be in bed. Um, I suppose, so I suppose it's, it, it's tricky because like, you know, with a book or with an hour long show, you can take, you can hold the, the reader's hand the whole way through and show them all the different complexities and talk about, oh, this was a high point. This was a low point. This is why I'm still here. But, you know, in five, 10 minutes, you can't it, it's much more difficult to even attempt that journey and also you know I, I I I'm also very aware that I don't want to bring the mood down I do want people to laugh and I also don't want to make it too difficult for an act following me you know and and that's why I'm, I'm really grateful to MCs because if I have uh, you know even if I made people laugh if I have brought the mood down a bit it's really wonderful to have an MC kind of come on afterwards and get the energy back up and kind of reset the room ready for the next act. When I write my set, and especially, you know, now I'm getting longer sets, I definitely pay more attention to, oh, it's all, it's all the depression stuff in one section. Because on one hand, that might make sense structurally because um, it might flow better. But also I'm, I'm much more aware of, of how the audience is likely to be feeling so I try and you know I try and contrast it with more moments of lightness and if there are moments where I'm worried that the audience is seeing me as a victim then the next bit of material I'll try and put myself in a more kind of high power or, or you know a, a higher position um what's it called ah, a higher status kind of role so but it's also been finding a balance between like I do have a dark sense of humor that's gonna that's been a way I have coped with things and that's not everyone's cup of tea and you know it, I'm very aware that there are some jokes I make that are are just going to be sad to some people and you know I can't but yeah I can try and make them more palatable but sometimes they're going to be less funny because of it you know I think you often have to lean in with comedy if you 
if you water down what you want to say, then very rarely do you get someone who wasn't going to laugh start laughing. And then the people who were going to laugh, they might laugh less because you've diluted it. So on one hand, it has I, it's been interesting because on one hand, I've become more aware of how I, the audience is going to react, especially from experience. Um, and I even I even now have jokes for if a joke doesn't land. So that's not and that's not to say I'll, I'll never I, I try to avoid saying, oh, um, you know, you'll find that funny an hour later that I, I don't really like those kind of jokes where it's, you know, like, oh, it's on the audience for not finding it funny or or you'll figure that one out later. But I do have jokes where, you know, so I, I if I have a joke about race and it doesn't land very well, then I have a, then I might follow up with a joke about making white people uncomfortable. Um, and so I've had more of a sense from experience of how to play the room. I'm still very much learning. I don't. I'm definitely not an expert in this by any means. And I'm, I'm, I still consider myself a writer more than a performer. And get told I, I often get praised for my writing rather than my performing, which, whilst lovely, is it's difficult when it's a performance-based art. <laughs> you know, whilst I do have this awareness now that I'm still honing. Um, I've also accepted that I'm just, you know, there are going to be some jokes that don't land with, for certain people. And if I, you know, I think if you try and be all things to everyone, you'll end up being nothing to anyone. So my first time at Clean Prose was for Kathy Renzenbrink's memoir writing masterclass. Um, and I, it was just a really brilliant workshop. And I remember feeling really welcome and and really sort of in awe of the space you know it it was a beautiful um space and I just remember thinking I want to write here like all the time um and I was quite fortunate because um they uh clean prose had partnered with the penguin right now scheme which um, I'm currently on um which aims to uh publish more works and, and encourage writing um from those underrepresented in the publishing industry. So as part of that, I'd been offered um, some free days to use the space. Um, and, you know, that was amazing, especially because at that time I, I was unemployed. So I, I couldn't afford membership at that point. And I, you know, I remember coming along for, for one of my free days and just just loving having that that space to write you know the the top floor was completely silent um and and, and soundproofed even and I just remember going up there and, and sitting in the little booth and feeling like oh this is you know I have no excuses not to write here I'm literally in the perfect environment for me um I didn't even connect to the wi-fi <laughs> um and around that time I was you know looking at the clean prose website and I saw they were advertising for a community coordinator um and in, in the end up they ended up offering two people that role and I, I was one of the people um and I worked there from February until May um when sadly Clean Pros had to make the decision to to close permanently so I got um three top tips for writers um number one write as often as possible from my own personal experience, the main difficulties I've had with writing have been not writing. And I think if you 
if you let yourself write, you can worry about stuff like editing and whether it's any good and all those things later. For, for me, I think that's a separate process to the act of writing. So I'd say my, my next top tip, <laughs> I don't think I've ever used a phrase top tip in my life, um, is from Anne Lamott. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but it's basically you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. I think my third tip is to to try not to be afraid to be vulnerable. Um, just because I, f- I find that a lot of the good stuff in my life has come from being vulnerable. And just I feel the connections I've made with people have been better when I've been vulnerable because I feel like when you're vulnerable, other people are more willing to be vulnerable around you. I've, I have throughout my life got in my own way and, and been afraid to put myself out there and put my work out there for fear that it's not good enough. Um, but most of the times when I've done that, I've, I've not regretted it. So yeah, I think know what you're willing to be vulnerable about and, and do it. Thanks, Alex, for her great advice and for speaking to me for this episode. You can find links to her social media accounts in the show notes. And thank you for listening to Freelance Pod. If you enjoy the show, please do rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tie a note to a pigeon, yell it at the moon, yell it at the sun, why not? And just generally share the word. Thanks again. Speak soon. Bye.